Ruth chapter 2, hear the word of the Lord. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. And she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And had you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in any other field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Three dead men and three widow women. That's basically what we saw in chapter 1 of Ruth. Briefly, the story is that there were some, what we would call today, economic refugees. 
They fled from the house of bread. Their names were, My God is King, Elimelech, and Pleasant, Naomi. They took their two sons, they went to Moab, and there they looked for work. But tragedy struck. Not only did My God is King, Elimelech, die, but both of the sons died as well after having married Moabite women. That's how we get to three dead men and three widow women. Naomi decides to go back to House of Bread, also called Bethlehem in English, and she is journeying back with her daughters-in-law, and she persuades one of them to return to her people to go back to Moab to make her life there. But Ruth, Ruth clings to her, and Ruth says, I will not leave you. I will go with you, and I will go and be part of your people, and your God will be my God, and not even death will separate me from you. And so they walk back to House of Bread. The city is all stirred up. They barely recognize Naomi, and when she hears her name mentioned, Pleasant, she goes on a rant, an outburst, and she said, Do not call me Pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter, because the Lord has treated me bitterly, and He has gone out against me. So the whole flow of chapter 1 is down. Until the last verse, it says there that they arrived in house of bread at the beginning of the barley harvest. There were two problems set up in chapter 1. Would the women starve to death? And would the men's line be snuffed out? You see, the women needed bread, and the men need descendants. And at the end of chapter 1, it looks like the first of those problems might be taken care of. Perhaps the women would be able to eat bread after all. And so we start chapter 1. And this narrator is a master storyteller. He throws something out at the beginning of chapter 1. In verse 1, he introduces us to a man named Boaz. And he describes him here, the translation says, a relative. But this is kind of a vague term. It means one who is known by, we maybe would translate it, acquaintance. And so, so far, the relationship is very vague. Now, Naomi had an acquaintance of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of my God is king, Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. He throws it out and leaves it hanging there for later. And then he picks up the narration again. In verse 2, when Ruth the Moabite, as we are reminded says to her mother-in-law, let me go out to glean among the fields. Now this word glean is not a word that is common in our vocabulary, but what gleaning was, was picking up the leftovers after the crops, after the harvest of the crops. So the harvesters, and by the way, you'll notice that the men and the women all pull in and work together at harvest time. The men doing some chores, the women doing other chores, all difficult chores. But the men and women join together because they need to get the harvest in. 
and they're moving quickly, and they don't pick up absolutely everything, and so people come behind to glean. And this was one of the ways that Israel was to provide for the widow, to provide for the poor, and to provide for the foreigner. For example, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, that's up here, It says, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, this is a a provision for the poor, but it's a scant provision for the poor. This would be something like trying to make a living recycling cans that you pick up. It would have provided something but not much. And so Naomi learned about this custom. Maybe it was in her land as well. And she said, let me go do this. At least I can do this. I'm young, I'm strong. I'll do this and see if I can provide bread for us so that we don't starve. But it's interesting, she says, I will do so only in the field of him in whose eyes I find favor. That expression is repeated three times in this chapter. She's looking for one in whose eyes she finds favor. And she will glean only in that field. And then it says in verse 3 that she went out and it says that she happened to find her way to a field belonging to Boaz. Who was of the clan of Elimelech? And we already know that he was at least an acquaintance of Elimelech. Now, at this point, Boaz comes onto the scene. And Boaz greets his workers and blesses them in the name of the Lord in verse 4. And they respond to him and bless him back in the name of the Lord. And then he makes an inquiry. Boaz was obviously on top of his work, and he recognized that there was someone there whom he did not know, whom he had not hired. And he asked his foreman, in verse 5, he said, Whose young woman is this? Now, this question in and of itself is ambiguous. This could mean a number of things. It could simply mean, I don't remember hiring her. Did you hire her? Does she work for someone else? Why is she in the field? It could simply be that. But our narrator is planting a question in our mind as well, in the whole arc of the story here, because this is the question, isn't it? The question is, to whom does she belong? Because she is Ruth the Moabitess, but we heard in chapter 1 that she said, your people will be, will be my people, your, pe- your God will be my God. And the question is, to whom does she belong? Does she belong to Moab and the gods of Moab, or does she belong to Israel and to the God of Israel? That's the big question here, and we'll see how that question begins to be answered in this chapter. The foreman explained that she was a Moabitess, the one who returned with Naomi. Now, you remember when they got back, the whole city was stirred, so everybody knew about this young lady, what she had done for her, for her mother-in-law. And what she had done when she got to the field of Naomi was quite astounding, because either out of ignorance, or out of audacity, or out of simple desperation, she had asked for something over and above what the law provided. Look at verse 7. 
It says, she said, here the foreman is reporting what Naomi requested. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. Now, when we look at the law, the law said they could glean among the edges of the field and they could glean among the stalks, but the sheaves are the gathered bundles. And she was asking for something extraordinary. She was saying, may I gather even among the sheaves the gathered bundles? Because there she might be more likely to find extra grain that had been harvested, but somehow had not made it into or had fallen out of the sheaves. Sheaves rather, rather bold on her part. And then the, the foreman says this, and this is the hardest verse uh, in terms of the Hebrew, the hardest verse to understand what it means. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew, or rather the, the foreman says, so she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, that could mean either she started working and has not uh, stopped working except for a short rest, or it may be that she was waiting. She asked for uh, for the permission to to gather among the sheaves, and she was waiting for the answer. And the foreman was so to- taken aback, and he didn't, didn't have the authority to give her that, so she was waiting. And uh, she was waiting for somebody to give her that authority. It could mean either of those, but whatever it means, this was a bold young lady coming into this field and asking for special privileges. And then Boaz responded to her. He spoke to her, which is quite remarkable in the first place. This is a great man. This is an influential man. He is a worthy man, as he's described in verse 1. And he goes and he speaks to the Moabitess, the foreigner, and she's obviously poor of a different social class and apparently much younger than he was as well. But he goes and he speaks to her. That's the first kindness that he shows to her in verse 8. And he says, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. So he provided for her, he gave her what she was asking, and then he gave her special protection. You can imagine how this would be, men and women out in the fields together, she's a foreigner, foreigners are often subject to abuse when they come into a a new country, and he says, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So he provides for her, and he also provides protection for her. And not only that, this is extraordinary, he takes the next step and he says, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. What would be uh, a necessary element to have working in the field? Water. And that water would have to be brought in from, from some distance. That would be a precious element to have. And he said, you may participate in my water. What's he doing here? He's bringing her a step into his circle. She's on the outer edge of the circle, but he's bringing her into his, his household one step at a time. Then she responded, fell down on her face, bowed to the ground, and look at how she describes him. Why have I, what's it say? Found favor in your eyes. What was she looking for? She was looking for the man in whose eyes she would find favor. Had she found him? She recognized him. She said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. And then 
she, or rather he responded to her and he says that he knew all about her. And he knew all that she had done for her mother-in-law since the death of her husband and how she had left her father and mother and her native land and come to a people, verse 11, come to a people that she did not know before. And then he blesses her. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord. She's gotten a little bit of reward by being able to glean, by being able to have protection, by being able to drink of the water. And he says, now may the Lord give you a full reward for all that you have done. And then he describes her this way. He describes, he says, the God of Israel, the end of verse 12, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What's the big question here? Whose woman is this? To whom does she belong? And now Boaz is answering the question little by little. He's bringing her a step into his household, and he's saying that she also belongs to whom? She belongs to the Lord. And the image here is of a a mother bird uh, having her brood under her wings and protecting her young ones. And so she's being brought little by little into the, the circle of Israel and the people of God. I want you to see something interesting. The, the, um, the narrator is a master storyteller here. And he says, or rather Boaz says, he says, you have left your father and mother in verse 11. That appears here. In the Old Testament, and it appears in one other place, Genesis chapter 2, 24, where Moses describes marriage after the very first marriage between Adam and Eve. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The only two places where this expression occurs. And so the narrator is doing something clever with us. And any Jewish reader would say, I know that expression, that's a marriage expression. And so he's planting some subtle ideas in our mind. Now, after this, Boaz does something even more extraordinary. Lunchtime comes, and this Moabite woman would not have anything to eat. And at mealtime, verse 14... He says to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, not with the reapers yet, beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And he gave her more than she needed. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Now here, this is the the great man. This is the owner of the field. Uh, And he goes to this young woman, foreigner, he invites her to sit down next to his people, and then he himself serves her lunch and gives her more than she needs. This is over and above any kindness that she might have expected. And then after that, he goes even farther. After lunch, she rose to glean again, verse 15 Boaz gave an instruction to his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. What did she ask to be able to do? Glean among the sheaves. And now he answers and says, Let her glean among the sheaves. And if she does, don't chase her out to the edge of the field and back to the standing stock. Let her glean among the sheaves and pick up what she finds there. And not only that, 
also pulls some out from the sheaves, from the bundles, and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. He's providing for her much more than she could expect by gleaning. And so she gleaned until evening, verse 17. Then it says she beat out the wheat, so it it removes the the chaff, and she tries to get to the kernels and, and carry those home. And it was about an ephah of barley. An ephah is worth or weighs about 30 pounds. This was a fabulous amount to glean in one day. This would be the amount that you would glean in in days or weeks. And so she takes these 30 pounds home to show Naomi. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, verse 18. And then she also gave her leftover lunch. She saved it for her mother-in-law. So now we know what she did with her leftovers. So her mother-in-law, who ate, we don't know when for the last time, She now had something of a meal to eat. And her mother-in-law saw how much she had and knew that that was extraordinary. Knew that something special had happened there. And so she asked her in verse 19, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is... Did you see what the narrator is doing to us here? Did you see how long he took to get to Boaz's name? So the mother-in-law asked the question, and then the, the narrator just takes his time, and he says, she asked the question, and Naomi says, the man with whom I work today is, and here's where we should hear something of a drum roll, and a little pause. And the man's name is? Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This is a word we saw last week. Kindness. Sometimes translated steadfast love. In Hebrew, chesed. It appears again here. His chesed, His kindness, His steadfast love has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, wait a minute. Isn't this Naomi? Isn't this Mara? Isn't this embittered? We heard her ranting the last time we saw her in chapter 1 about how the Lord's, Lord's hand was against her, how the Lord had testified against her. And now she's saying, The Lord's chesed, the Lord's steadfast love has not forgotten the living and the dead. Now, wait a minute. We can see how the Lord's steadfast love is helping the living, can't we? Because it looks like the the widows are not going to starve to death. So we see His loving kindness towards the, the living. But how is He showing His love to the dead? Well, we'll see as the story goes on. But then he says, she says rather about this man Boaz. The man is a close relative of ours. One of our kinsmen. It's translated here, redeemers. Now this was a, a provision in Israel. They had their, their clan identities and their tribal identities and their national identities, but the relatives had certain responsibilities toward each other. And the kinsmen 
had various responsibilities. One responsibility, I, don't, I think this is in your notes, uh, the verses are there and you can look them up at leisure, uh, to repurchase sold family property. If the family fell into poverty and had to sell off property to survive, to keep the property in the family, the kinsman was to come and to buy that property back so it wouldn't go out of the family's possession. That's in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 25 to 30. Or, if somebody had to sell himself, some people fell into abject poverty and they had to sell themselves into slavery. Uh, the kinsman could come along and should come along and use, use his resources to, to buy this relative out of slavery. That's in Leviticus chapter 24, 47 to 55. Or, if there was a murder that took place, and uh, the murderer had run off, it was the responsibility of the kinsman to go after that murderer and avenge the death of the murdered relative. In Numbers chapter 35, 19. So the role of the kinsman was various. But the idea of the kinsman was to bring back, bring back and to buy back and to redeem, which is why it's translated redeem here. And Naomi hoped that Boaz could do even more for them than he had already done. What had he done so far? He had been a kindly, generous land owner, hadn't he? But she's saying, he's not just a relative, he's not just an acquaintance, he's one of our kinsmen. And so she was hoping that he could do even more besides. And then Ruth gave some more information about how he had treated her, verse 21 Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So all the harvest, and there'll be two harvests. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. Did you see what she just did there? But Boaz had said, stick to my young people. It's translated young men, but young people, young men and young women. And Naomi says, you know, it'd be better if you stayed with the young women. She's trying to keep Ruth, from being around young men. And she says the reason is so that she's not assaulted. And that's a good preventative measure, isn't it? But I'm wondering if she had something else in mind here to keep anybody from catching Ruth's eye and Ruth noticing anyone. And so she did what her mother-in-law says, verse 23 She kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. So two harvests. And if she was able to provide months worth of grain on the first day of gleaning, after two harvests, it looks like these women are going to be provisioned for quite a long time. And then the chapter ends with a thud. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is exactly the opposite of chapter 1, isn't it? Chapter 1 is down, 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 down. It gets worse and worse. And then at the very end it says, but they arrived at the beginning of barley harvest. It's looking up, isn't it? Maybe they won't starve to death after all. And here it's looking up. She happens to find herself in the field of Boaz. He's extraordinarily kind to her. Provides for her. Protects her. Says that she's coming into the circle of Israel. She takes the the food home. And her mother-in-law says, He's a kinsman. Maybe he can help us out. 
She's there uh, working in Boaz's field for the the couple months or so of the barley harvest, and then she lives with her mother-in-law. That's it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. We thought something might be going on there. We were picking up some vibes, weren't we? The, The narrator was using some language that was... Making us wonder, leave your father and mother, take notice of, show favor to, uh, doing these extraordinary things. And then she lives with her mother-in-law. I mean, nothing wrong with living with your mother-in-law, but we were sensing something here. And now we're disappointed, or at least we know we have to wait until chapter 3 to find out if we were imagining things or if something was really possibly going on here. That's next week, so come back. <laughs> but there are a few things that are clear here that's going on, that are going on in this chapter. One is this, and we see this all through this book, we see this all through Scripture, we see this all through our lives. And that is that behind the scenes, God is orchestrating everything. And there's one detail that reminds us of that. Because the actors are doing their things, aren't they? They're going out, they're working, they're trying, they're striving, they're doing their things, but she just happened to find herself in Boaz's field. And so we see that there is someone behind the scenes orchestrating everything, bringing the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz together for some purpose that we'll find in the rest of this book. But that's a good thing to remember in our lives as well, isn't it? We must act, but God will be the one who guides the course of our lives. Another thing that is clear is that something is happening in Naomi, and to Ruth. What's happening in Naomi? Mara is turning back into Naomi. The embittered one is finally glimpsing pleasantness again. The one who was ranting and complaining against God's treatment of her is now blessing the Lord because of His chesed, His steadfast love to the living and the dead. Now, we saw at the end of chapter 1 that Naomi was back in her native land, but far from God, and Ruth was far from her native land, but close to God. And now it looks like maybe Naomi will be coming back to God as she sees once again, after a time of, of embitterment, she sees once again A glimpse of his steadfast love. That's what's happening in Naomi. What's happening to Ruth? We've already noticed it. That Ruth, the one who says, I will be a part of the people of Israel and I will follow the Lord God. Well, the people of Israel, through Naomi and through Boaz, they're bringing her in to the clan. Did you notice that Naomi said, He is one of our kinsmen? bringing Naomi into the clan. And Boaz bringing her into the circle. She's on the outside edge of the circle, but she's beginning to experience some of the the privileges of being part of the people of God. But more important than that, 
Boaz says, you've come to rest under the wings of the Almighty. God Himself is taking the foreigner, the Moabite, the excluded one, and He is bringing her near. There was something else, though, that we cannot escape in this chapter. And I found this happening to me as I began on Monday to work with the text of this this chapter and and was working with it all week long, I couldn't escape something irresistible about Ruth. She was captivating me, and I was trying to figure out why. And then I realized there was a combination in Ruth that was, was leaving me drawn to her. And it was this combination. Strength and gentleness, kindness. On the one hand, this woman is amazingly strong. In chapter 1, she stands up against her her rather formidable mother-in-law, and she wins the day. And then she goes out as a foreigner and looks for some field in which to glean. And then she gets there and she says, I want to glean among the sheaves, please. And then, even as she is bowing down on her face before Boaz, she takes control of the conversation and says, Why did you notice me? She has strength, but her strength is used in the service of others. Her strength is used in a gentle way. Her strength is used in a deferential way, in a kind way to bless others. And as I began, as I thought about this woman, I thought, wow, that's a woman. She's so strong and so kind. That's what drew me to Sandy as well. And I realized how, how, Irresistible that combination is to me and I suppose to other men. But then I started thinking, I wonder how Boaz comes across. And here he is. He's a great man. And that word great is often applied to warriors. He may have been a a soldier. He was certainly a prominent man, an influential man, and he bursts on the seeds. He takes charge. He blesses people. He sends his servants to do this and to that. He gives orders. He's in control. And then he notices the the little foreign lady. And he speaks kindly to her. And then at lunch, with his own hands, he serves lunch to the foreigner. And I'm guessing that that combination is, is pretty attractive to women as well. And then I started thinking, if this combination is attractive to men, if this combination is attractive to women, this combination must be attractive to humans. There must be something about this that that draws us in. And I wondered, why is that? What is it about this combination? Because we see these two qualities sometimes separated in people. But when they come together, we're captivated. And we're drawn. And then I realized what it is about that combination. It's a pointer. It's a reminder. It's a signpost. And it's a signpost to the one who, who made his own whip and drove out the marketers from the temple. And then he washed his disciples' feet. It's the one who says to the wind and the waves, hush, be still, and they're still. And he's the one who likes to dine with the outcasts. It's the one who thunders against religious hypocrisy. And then he goes and he touches the leper and says, I am willing 
be cleansed. It's the one who created the universe by the word of his power, who also gave himself on a Roman cross to pay the penalty for the sins of many who would trust in him. And then I realized what it is that is so captivating about these two. They're signs that say, look to the one who brings these two together. Because in Him, and in Him alone, will you find that pleasant life that you long for. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You that You have not forgotten Your chesed, Your steadfast love to the living and the dead. And we know that You have shown Your chesed to us in the most marvelous way by sending Your Son the emperor of the universe who gave his life as a ransom for many. Lord, we fall down in worship before Jesus and we tremble at his feet and at the same time we're comforted by his touch and his tenderness and we're drawn to him and I pray that all of us would be drawn to him because we find in him that which can captivate our heart and even make us more and more like these characters we're considering in this beautiful story. The combination of strength and kindness. And we praise You, O strong Lord, that You have used Your strength in kindness toward us to give us salvation through Jesus Christ. And we pray in His name. Amen.